You know why we're having all this? It's because it's your birthday, right? This is the birthday of the church. I'm not talking about Betarial, I'm talking about the whole church. You know, 2,000 years ago it was Pentecost. And it's this week actually that we're celebrating Pentecost. In fact, it's going to be next Tuesday. Tuesday night it begins and the whole day Wednesday would be the birthday of the church. And uh, I did warn you last week, right? When Pastor Anku is around, things are not the same. I remember I met uh, Pastor Anku uh, over 20 years ago and he actually, uh, uh, you know, candidly asked me to come to uh, present a Passover in Sherbrooke. I said, no problem. I thought it was his family and so on. I went there. There were 600 people. <laughs> but it was, it was a blessing. And since then, we kept in touch and so on. And it's always a pleasure to, to have him around uh, with us. So again, let me begin by wishing you a happy birthday, everyone. It's Beth Ariel's birthday. It's all of the congregation of God's birthday. We're 2,000 years old. And it was then that the Ecclesia, that is the church, the true church of God, the body of the Messiah was born. It all began, by the way, in Jerusalem with 13 Jews, right? Yeshua and the 12 disciples. It was then that a new institution of men, women, children was formed, the only one, by the way, of its kind, a unique one. Something that was never seen before in history, one who changed, transformed, blessed the world around them and also the countries where these believers were. And it was right at its birth that it began to amaze many Greek people, many people of the time. I remember one Greek writer, Lucian, in 150 AD, when he noticed these new believers, this is where he wrote. He said, it's incredible to see the fervor, fervor with which the people of that religion help each other. They spare nothing. Their leaders have put it into their heads that they are brethren. He saw it right. We are all brothers and sisters. Just before we started, actually, we, we asked the people that were here early this morning to tell us how many, from which country they came. I think we counted over 20, 25 different countries, you know, and that's the beauty of the church. We're all one in Christ, Jews, Gentiles, and people from Africa, Asia, uh, South America, and so on. We're all one. You know, he, he, this writer, by the way, saw it right because at that time they used to have a proverb. They used to say, man is a wolf to a man whom he does not know. But when they saw the new believers in Yeshua, they were astonished. And they said, they love each other, how come? And this was possible, why? Because the Spirit of God, the Ruach HaKodesh, who began to dwell, he began to dwell permanently in the hearts of every believer. And I want to tell you, his constant indwelling was new. And this is what characterizes this new group of people who brought goodness and love to all others who crossed their path. And of course, when I speak of the church, I speak of the true one, the biblical one, the congregation which is based on his scriptures and the one who follows the precepts of God. How important is this organization to Yeshua? It is so central, I want to tell you that he called it his bride. He even, even more, he called it his own body. This illustration shows us the strongest bond ever between God and man. You find it in the church of God. The Spirit says in Ephesians, for we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. It is a bond that is forever and ever in eternity future. Now, have you ever thought of the great privilege as believers in Yeshua that we have to belong to a congregation, to His congregation? You know, a gathering is not a small thing. We know from the Scriptures that it matters a lot to God. 
He himself says that when we gather together, he's among us. And he rejoices in our presence. He blesses us. Just before the birth of the church, one of the prophets said, Malachi 3.16, just listen to what he says. Those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Whatever you, we meet, whatever we speak of him, whatever we sing for him and with him, he records it in a book. And I'm sure that this book will be open at the Bema Seat of Christ. And the birth of the congregation of God was a miracle. And the miracle is still going on because we are always being transformed. We are always experiencing or witnessing miracles over miracles. Miracles of salvation. Miracles of transformation, daily transformation. It is also the miracle of orphanages, of hospitals, of soup kitchens. The congregation of God is a dynamic organization driven by love, love for each other, love for the people of the world. Even though they don't like us, we love them. Because we want them to come to a saving knowledge of our great Savior. You know, today the body of the Messiah is 2,000 years old and it was born during a very specific time during the feast of Shavuot or Pentecost. Why on this feast? What is the relation between Shavuot and Pentecost? Many today ask, what do the Jewish feasts have to do with the Christian church? It's all the Word of God. The Bible should not be divided into one part gone and the other new. It's all alive and all parts speak of us daily. The Jewish feast should not be foreign to a Bible-believing person because they are part and parcel of the revelation of God. Let us begin our quest of the origin of the church of God by first looking at the seven feasts of Israel. They are so related to the church that, and there is, by the way, one thing very important when you look at these feasts. Did you ever realize that six of these feasts cannot be fully understood without the revelation of the New Testament? Without linking them to Yeshua and his body, and Shavuot especially is one of them. For instance, looking at the seven feasts of Israel, Leviticus 23, how can you understand Passover without Yeshua? Passover is not about matzah, it's not about horseradish only. It's about the blood of the Lamb who protected the Israelites as Jesus protects us today. How can you understand the Feast of Unleavened Bread if you have not considered the life of the Messiah on earth? How he walked the righteous and spotless path. Have you read his biography in the Gospel? There you will find the meaning of this feast. Did you consider the Feast of First Fruits? The third feast in the calendar, did you think that it spoke only about fruits? It spoke about the resurrection of the Lamb of God that was sacrificed at Passover. It speaks of Yeshua alive and well and seeking to dispense his blessing to whoever looks on him because he's alive. He's alive as in heaven. He's looking for everyone who doesn't know him. See that this feast cannot be understood without considering that it is the foundation of the scriptures that is Yeshua. Yeshua Mashiach. All of these feasts speak of one facet of his person or one facet of his ministry. As the whole Bible speaks of him. But the next two feasts are quite special because their fulfillment are clearly spoken as mysteries revealed in the New Testament. Pentecost and the Feast of Trumpet. Much of the Bible gives a progressive revelation. All of which find its raison d'etre with Yeshua. The fourth one, Shavuot or Pentecost, prophesies the birth of the church. 
And the feast, feast of the trumpet, speaks of the removal before the judgment, the removal of the church. It speaks of the rapture. And because they are spoken of as mystery revealed in the New Testament, rabbinical Judaism gave its full heart on creating traditions and legends to fill the gap. This is what we'll consider today concerning Shavuot. As for the two last ones, Yom Kippur and Tabernacles, they both follow the chronology of God's calendar. After the birth and the removal of the body of the Messiah comes the seven-year tribulation, symbolized by the Feast of Atonement. Then follows the Messianic times, or millennium, symbolized by Sukkot, or the Feast of Tabernacle. This last feast, Judaism agrees that it symbolizes the millennium. But before we look at Shavuot, where are we today in the calendar here? We are right in between the two sets of feasts. Right after that Yeshua was crucified and resurrected, we learn in Acts 2 that the church of God was born. That is what Pentecost symbolizes. And we are right into the gap between the first and second coming of Christ. Biblically, it was a time of four months in the summer, characterized by sowing and harvesting, which in turn symbolizes the work of the congregation of God, whose function is to bring the word of God to the others, because you know that this is the only thing you can do here, you cannot do in heaven. To bring the word to the unsaved, because you have no unsaved in heaven. John said, or that is Jesus says in John 4.35, he says, Do you not say there are still four months and there comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, look at Montreal. How many people, look at your neighbors, how many of them don't know the Christ? And see how he mentions the same lapse of time, four months. It is exactly this time separating the two feasts, time of harvest, the disciples were being trained for. And we bring trained for it as well. You know, as a Messianic Jew, I find it a great blessing to discover these great riches that we have in our scriptures in the light of the Messiah. It is truly a revelation for us because these feats that we have celebrated in our youth become so vivid and significant when we come to the knowledge of Jesus. I remember going to synagogue where my grandfather was a rabbi. Every Friday evening and Saturday morning and feast days, these days were so solemn, the people were devout and seriously reading and praying. And all this reminds me of what Rabbi Shaul said, Paul, in Romans 10 too, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal. The zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Knowledge, knowledge of God, my people... Went to captivity because they have no knowledge, as I said, the knowledge of God that leads to a saving knowledge of Jesus. This is what they're missing. This is what we have. Let us begin with our feast of Shavuot. Shavuot is the Hebrew name for our Pentecost. The name Shavuot literally means weeks or seventh in Hebrew. Why seventh? Because this feast takes place seven weeks or seven Shabbats after the feast of Passover. The Greek name Pentecost gives us a similar definition. It means the 50th day, because both Shavuot and Pentecost occurred 50 days after Passover. You know, at that time, after the first day of Passover, wheat would be planted, and 49 days later on Pentecost, it would be harvested and it would be brought to the temple and offered to God. We can find its roots in Leviticus 23, 15. It says, And you shall count for yourself from the day after the Shabbat, from the day that you brought the sheaves of the wave offering, seven Shabbats shall be completed. Seven Shabbats is the more of the 49th day. And during one Shavuot in history, 
2000 years ago something extraordinary happened the church of god the ecclesia was born if you have your bible you can open up with me to acts chapter 2 i'm going to read a few verses the first six verses where you're going to see the, the birth of our church if you don't just listen to the words they're beautiful words acts 2 verses 1 to 8 Something happened that surprised even the Jewish people that were there. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the, this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were surprised because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are there all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one in our own language? In which we were born. This is the beginning of the account of the miracle of the birth of the body of the Messiah. As they gathered the Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of God came upon them. And they were filled with His presence. And suddenly they started to speak in tongues. At this time Jews from all over the world gathered in Jerusalem. And these spoke different languages right in verse 9 to 11. We have some 15 different languages listed for us. But when the Spirit came, they all understood each other. This was the beginning of a new era in the world history. From this point on, a great world world change occurred. This, I believe, was the reversal of the curse of Babel. There men got together for evil, rejecting God. Here they are together for love, one with God. At Babel, God did confounded their tongues. To protect men from his own self-destruction, here he brings them together for salvation and they all speak known tongues. Babel throughout the scriptures became a symbol of sin and rebellion, not only in Genesis, but throughout the Bible it will culminate in the future, as we see in Revelation 17 and, 9 and 18. But the congregation of God is its antidote. It exists on earth to save the people, to save the people from the effect of this tower of Babel. And there's one word here which links Acts 2 directly to Shavuot. It is right in verse 1. Of the feast we read that it was, had fully come. Right? One word in the Greek. Supleru, meaning completely established. This Greek word comes from the word pleru. As when a prophecy is fulfilled. As when you read in Matthew, then was fulfilled or was spoken by Jeremiah. But to it is added the word psalm, meaning that it was completely fulfilled. It is here where we see the prophetic fulfillment of the Feast of Shavuot, here completely fulfilled at Pentecost 2,000 years ago. And it is here in Acts 2, where we can finally understand one ceremony. One ceremony the priests did for 1,500 years every Shavuot at the temple without really knowing what they were doing. At the same time as the Spirit of God came to dwell in the Ecclesia, in the temple compound, the high priest will present to God two loaves of bread. 
And there's something special and unique about these breads. Look at Leviticus 23.17. It says, You shall bring from your dwelling two wave loaves of two-tenths of an ephah, and they shall be of fine flour, they shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits of the Lord. Do you find anything unusual about this offering here? Leaven. Leaven is present. No, I want to tell you that no offering was supposed to carry leaven. You cannot offer leaven ever to God, except on this day. Why? We know that leaven symbolizes sin in the scriptures. And anything containing leaven was not permitted to be offered to God, except on Shavuot. Why? Rabbinical commentaries are very much silent on this part of the scriptures, because the meaning can only be found in the New Testament. And at the birth of the Ecclesias, when both Jews and Gentiles, both sinners, formed the new body. And if leaven can be presented at this time, it is because Jesus had died already at Passover. And Jesus has resurrected already and is sitting down at the right hand of God. And so the two breads, which represent Jew and Gentiles, with their leaven presented in a white sheet... Okay, we're presented to God. Why? Because Jesus was sitting down. This is what it is new here. Right? The leaven, the two breads here that represent the Jews and the Gentiles being one. Something that was not known in the Hebrew Scriptures. It was known that the Gentiles will come to believe. It was never known that the Jews and the Gentiles will become one as one entity. And this is exactly Paul's argument in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul speaks about this new formed group of people and tells us that it was a mystery. Ephesians 3, verse 3, says, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery that I have briefly written already, by which, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men. Hey, he's speaking about us here as it has now been revealed by the spirit of his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. This is the mystery fulfilled in the Messiah, in the body of the Messiah. That Gentiles will be co-heirs of the same body. That is the church. With the Jewish people and with the Gentiles, there is the meaning of Shavuot. Just like you have it in the olive tree of Romans 11, right? It is, I, I love to call Shavuot, by the way, the, the, or, or the, this tree, the Shavuot tree. Shavuot tree, because we're all together in there. And see what Paul says here, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs now. Through the church, they could share with Israel in the inheritance of the kingdom. You know, when I go to a church, it's a novelty. Wow, there's a Jew coming to a church. But in the first century, it was the opposite. When a Gentile will come to a church, they say, wow, well, what does he want? You know, it's a religion, right? And, and second, he says that now they form the same body. Now we are one in Christ. There's no more difference, right? One in Christ. And third, they are partakers of the promise. Now they could enjoy the blessings of the promises of God. This is what is symbolized by the two breads that is offered, actually, to God through Yeshua. Now, how did the rabbis dealt with Shavuot if the meaning of this feast is only revealed later? One thing that rabbinical Judaism is blessed with is a great imagination. A great one that gave way to many, many legends and traditions. And often these legends were not created amiss. 
many of them were inspired by the scriptures and many times they are so close to the truth. In fact, Jewish people today carry with them one of the richest historical heritage made up of beautiful traditions, of well-thought-out customs. And this heritage, while not in opposition with the Word of God, is one of the finest. With a history of 4,000 years, it is then of great interest for the Bible believer, as it beautifully ornates for us and many times may even deepen the meaning of some passages in the Scriptures. And this heritage, I want to tell you, is everyone's heritage. The Jews and the Gentiles' heritage. Let me give you some tradition attached to Shavuot. For the Jewish people, this is also a birthday, by the way. The birthday of the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. So it was during this day that Shavuot, of Shavuot, that they introduced children to Hebrew school. So they can learn the language and so to prepare them to study the law. At this initiation ceremony, the child, at about the age of five, was placed at the reading desk in the synagogue. And then he was taken to the school and he was given a lot of sweets. Why? And so they would say to him that the Torah might be sweet in his lips. Another Shavuot custom is the eating of dairy foods, right? What's a Jewish feast without food? It doesn't exist. Except on Yom Kippur, of course. But after Yom Kippur, they eat. One explanation states that this comes from Exodus 33.3, where after the giving of the law, God told them to go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. With this, the Jews remember that the Messianic times are coming and they eat a lot of dairy products. Another legend tells the story of the Israelites finding Mount Sinai blooming with lush and greenery and flowers. From this legend grew the custom to decorate Jewish homes and synagogues with tree branches and flowers. If you have occasion to go to a synagogue this weekend, you go and you go to see how beautiful it is in there. And looking at the whole body of legend surrounding Shavuot, you know the greater majority have evolved from the story describing their experience in the, of the Israelites on Mount Sinai. Remember the first picture? Right? This is Mount Sinai. This is the birthday of the giving of the law for the Jews. Because there seems to be an unanimous agreement among the different factions of Judaism that God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses on this very day of Shavuot, that is 50 days after Passover. And this seems very possible, because in Exodus 19 we see that there was three months, of course, after that they left Egypt and they joined the mountain. Of course, it could be any part of the first and third month to make 50 days. But there was a legend, a legend that will bring us right into Pentecost in Acts 2. This legend says that the Jews overslept the morning of God's visit. So to compensate for this negligence, Jews today hold a vigil on the eve of Shavuot. They stay awake from dusk to dawn, keeping themselves busy with the reading of the Torah and the Talmud all night. This is what they will do this coming Tuesday, June the 3rd. The day Shavuot falls this year, then many religious Jews will stay awake and study the whole night, and they will study until sunrise, then they will go to the mikveh for a ritual bath, or baptism as we call it, to prepare them for the remaining of the year. So Shavuot became then a time of the study of the word. You see that tradition can have a good influence on people, right? And so from them, Shavuot, for them that is, Shavuot is the birthday of the law of Moses, 
the beginning of the dispensation of the Mosaic law and this becomes significant when we think that Shavuot became the birthday of the beginning of the other dispensation of grace, right? We have the dispensation of the law and the dispensation of grace, one with the other. And there's a strong similarities between the time of the giving of the law and that of grace. The first striking similarities between Mount Sinai and the birth of the church in Jerusalem is the number 3,000. Does that sound, ring a bell? The number of people mentioned in both cases. A significant message is found as one will speak of punishment due to sin and the other of grace due to redemption. At the time of the giving of the law, while Moses was on the mount, some of the Israelites built a golden calf. It was an act of idolatry. And as a consequence, we read in Exodus 32:28 that Moses ordered the Levites to go through the camp and find those responsible for the act. How many people did they find? Did they find? 3,000. 3,000 of them were found guilty and put to death. However, do you know when the ecclesia, the church, was born, we find the same number of people in Acts 2:41 where we see that 3,000 Jews came to believe and 3,000 of them actually were baptized on that day. You see the difference? The law and the grace. Right? Just like Jesus says in John 1.17, or John said, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Yeah, And you can see grace also in the Old Testament, right? Do, do you remember why Moses broke the table of the laws? You don't do that, Moses. This is God. This is the only thing that God wrote. But he broke them. You know why? Because if you break the covenant, the punishments of the covenant will not come on the people. So he took it upon himself to break them. So no covenant, no punishment. But he went to search for the 3,000, the responsible ones. Of course, this is not to say again that the law is no good. It is good, very good. But it was fenced with judgment and punishment, which was removed at the cross. Because now with Christ, we can go into the law and really bring out the beauty of it. So with the Spirit came grace, and so on the same day, 3,000 people were saved. As the curse of Babel was reversed, so was the curse which came with the law. These 3,000 Jews at Pentecost constituted the foundation of the church of God composed of the new priests who were to share the word of salvation to the nations. Again, when I speak of the church... I speak of the biblical church or the one which is based on the word of God. And so these new believers were the new priests. The whole process, I just want to tell you, is dipped in grace. Dipped in grace. Now I don't think we can make a big deal enough when it comes to grace. You know in his book, Crowded Detours, Don Maloff tells a story about a young employee who secretly misappropriates several hundred dollars of the firm's money. He stole them. When this action was discovered, the young man was told to report to the office of the senior par partner of the firm. As he walked up the stairs towards the administrative office, the young employee was heavy-hearted, of course. He knew without a doubt he would lose his position with the firm. He, was, he also feared the possibility of legal action taken against him. Seemingly, the whole world had collapsed. Upon his arrival in the office of the senior executive, the young man was questioned about the whole affair. He was asked if the allegations were true, and he answered in the affirmative. Then the executive surprisingly asked this question. He says, if I keep you, 
in your present capacity. Can I trust you in the future? The young worker brightened up and said, Yes, sir, you surely can. I've learned my lesson. The executive responded, I'm not going to press charges. And you can continue in your present responsibility. And the employer concluded the conversation with his younger employee. And listen to what he said. He says, I think you ought to know, however, that you are the second man in this firm who succumbed to temptation and was shown leniency. I was the first. What you have done, I did. The mercy you received, I received. And he added, it is only through the grace of God that he can keep both of us. Right? That was our story, by the way. That was our story when we first met Jesus. Right? This is the mark of a new dispensation of grace. God treats us with grace. Remember what it's written in Psalm 130. The Spirit of God inspired the writer to say, If you, Lord, should mark our iniquities, Lord, who can stand? Right? And this is why Yeshua died and resurrected for us. And there are other very pertinent relations between the events at Sinai and Shavuot, between the law and grace. Did you ever ask yourself how come so many Jews from all over the world were gathering in Jerusalem during the Feast of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover, what were they doing there? You know that God ordered all Jewish male to come to Jerusalem three times a year. We see it in Deuteronomy 16.16 during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Pentecost and Tabernacles. During the other feasts, they could stay in their city or in, the, or in the diaspora. But these three feasts, God said, I want to see you. I want to see you at the temple. But why these three feasts? You know that all the Mosaic law speaks of the Messiah. That's the whole of the scriptures. And here we can see him and also see the three important first, the dispensation of God. And furthermore, the three appearances of God in the history of men. At the Feast of Passover, God appeared on Mount Sinai. Dispensation of the law. The Feast, the feast of Pentecost, His Spirit comes to establish the church, a dispensation of grace. And the Feast of Tabernacles, the Messiah comes to establish His kingdom. Dispensation of the millennium. And we can see also the Trinity here. Right? The Father who comes at Passover was preparing the people for the coming of the Son through the many types in the law and prophecies. The Spirit who at Pentecost was preparing the believers for the work of priesthood through sanctification. So you have the Father, you have the Spirit, and then the Son comes back right, to establish His kingdom when all is finished at the time of the millennium. And there's one more thing in there. Three offices of the Messiah, right? Three offices. At Passover, He came to fulfill the, the office of prophet. He came to die. Who has believed our report, Isaiah says, Isaiah 53. At Pentecost, we see his office of priesthood. He died, he resurrected. Now he's sitting at the right hand of God, accepting all our prayers, listening to all and every single prayers. And Tabernacles, Sukkot, represent his office of king. He will come back as the king of kings, the king and sitting on his throne. What we have seen so far is that these three events mark three important appearances of comings of God. And all in the threshold of the new dispensation, the law, grace, and millennium. That these three manifestations have a lot of common, by the way. The first one is one of warning. One of warning why man could not approach God. The second is an invitation, where the Spirit of God began to dwell permanently in man. 
And the third is that of judgment. Where the Messiah comes to judge, you choose him as a savior or judge. Now let us meditate a little longer on the difference between the three comings of God on earth. Three major comings of God. When God was on Mount Sinai, what happened then? You know that the people were gripped with what? Fear. Fear. There was thunder. The mountain was shaking. So much so that the Israelites actually, you know what they told Moses? You speak to him and you speak to us. We don't want to speak to him. We can't speak to him, right? What does that mean? They need a mediator. They saw the need of a mediator. Okay, this verse speaks of Jesus, right? It could not be Moses, for he was not the Lamb of God. He was not spotless nor sinless. Who do you think it is? Yeshua, a Messiah. And they said, but let not God speak to us lest we die. But today you can speak to him, because he's sitting at the right hand of God. And did you notice the manner in which the same God came at the birth of the congregation of God? Acts 2 verse 2. Let's read it again. It says, Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. The Spirit came, but there was no fear. They did not run away, did they? They were sitting, right? It was such a gentle experience. And when you first accept the Lord Jesus Christ in your, in your heart, you know, you, you know it is Him. And suddenly this began to say and do things they never knew they could do or say. Here we see the difference between the law and grace again. Between sin and salvation. It is the same God who came twice here. Once without a mediator, with thunder and earthquake. The second with a mediator because Jesus had just died. You know, the dispensation, this is the age of the Spirit. But who is the Holy Spirit? You know, I just want to tell you that the average church member's understanding of the Holy Spirit is so vague. And it is at times nearly non-existent. We, we don't even see Him. To many, He is like a light switch, right? They almost command Him to do this and do that. But the Holy Spirit is God. He is the Spirit of Christ. Prior to his arrival in Acts 1, Jesus told his disciples, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Power. The word power is dynamo, where we get our word dynamite. However, the two words are very different. Dynamite is an explosion that could harm you. But the Greek dynamo comes to, doesn't speak of distraction, but it means helping others, empowering others in an orderly form. The Greek of the time understood dynamo as a cosmic force. Plato calls dynamis the absolute mark of being. But the Bible describes this gentle work as the spirit works when it comes to you. And who is the spirit within the Trinity? You know, I love what someone said. They say that God is the producer, the Holy Spirit is a director, and Jesus is a superstar. <laughs> right? Director. Right? He is the one who lives in us and directs us always to Jesus. Always pointing to Yeshua. Always. So what is then the true church of God? What does Shavua tell us about our identity? If you look at a dictionary like the Webster's or the Oxford or dictionary.com, they all give you the same definition of a church. You know what they say? It's a building for Christian worship. 
But that is not the true definition, right? This one strips off the soul of the church. Because in the Bible, a church, a congregation of God is a people, not a building. Yeshua said that this is his body. His body is not made of stones, but of changed hearts, of changed souls, of people who live and are constantly transformed. It is made of miracle workers. And when I speak of miracle workers, I mean of miracles of prayers, of miracles of their commanding behavior, of their service and goodness and love. Something the people of this world have nothing to say against. Something they are actually attracted to. Today, the closest, I want to tell you, the closest you can get to heaven is where? Here. Here, because we're all one. We love each other, right? This is the church of God. We believe in Yeshua. This is going to be in heaven. It's going to be better than this, I can promise you. And it is in this place where everyone, of course, is one. This is the place where you will hardly spot or one who belongs to one or the other social strata of society. The educated as the non-educated are all one in Christ. The poor and the rich are all poor in Yeshua, who makes them the richest of all. Who is the lawyer? Who is the unemployed? Who is the doctor? Who is the one who did not get his high school diploma? If you ever know it, I challenge you to spot them. You won't be able because they're one here. They come so humbly and I love them all. I remember what is written in 1 Corinthians 12. Speaking of the church of God, he says, For in fact the body is not one member, but many. And if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. All members are one, different and equal. And all members are responsible. They are responsible for each other's. As we read in verse 26, it says, And if one member suffers, how many others suffer? All. All of them. See how we are connected with each other? We are family. As God created marriage at the creation of man, He created a congregation at the coming of the Holy Spirit. You know... I just want to say this before we close. Today many in Christianity suffer from the Robinson Crusoe syndrome. You know what that is, right? Robinson Crusoe was shipwrecked and found along in an island by himself for many years. I used to love, by the way, reading his book. But Robinson Crusoe was shipwrecked. He was destitute. He was starving for fellowship. He was not a happy camper. Today many believers define Christianity between them and Jesus. They fail to see that biblical Christianity is a family, it's a unit, unit that is, just like who God is, right? God is a trinity. He is one unit. And so he created his congregation with many members, just like we are now. Like an athlete who desires to be effective on game day, he must first be properly trained. He must spend many hours keeping himself in shape and developing his skills to a high degree. If he does not, he will not be able to accomplish all that he wishes when it is time to play the game. You know, there was a question on church signboards, and it was written like this. CH-CH. What's missing in the center? UR. UR. Right? This is the church. To conclude... Again, <laughs> I would like to bring you back to the sounds of God we have seen before. We have the uh, thunder at Sinai. 
And there we have seen the sound of the rushing gentle wind at Pentecost. There's still another sound to come. Do you know where it is? And I believe it's going to be a loud one. Matthew 24, 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will come the Son of Man. The coming of the Son of Man. Where is the sound in this verse? We can, have, can we have lightning without thunder? No, you can't. Meteorologists say it's a myth. They say it is impossible to have lightning without a thunder. It's impossible to have thunder without lightning. If you see lightning and you don't hear the thunder, it's probably because you're too far away. But here the whole world are going to recognize the one they have pierced before, like it's written in the book of Revelation. And considering the three sounds, they are different. Each one will tell you about the love or the wrath of God. Each will tell us that there's a choice for every individual to make. First, at Sinai, with the law, God warns us. You want to do it for yourself? Go and try to do the law. Can't. No one. No one could do the law. Only Christ did. That was the purpose of the law. You try to do it. Second one, again, it's an invitation to salvation. This sound was from the Spirit. We read again in Acts 2, and suddenly there came a sound. It brought them to him. You know, Judaism at the time of Jesus, at the time where this sound came, had a particular name for the Spirit of God. They called it Bat Call. That is the daughter of the voice. They understood it to be the voice from heaven. This is how they wrote it, wrote it actually, in their own tra- translation, the Targums. Like a sound or resonance of God. In the Targum again, in the Talmud, this is how they represented the voice of God. And this voice from heaven came on Shavuot. And many of them must have recognized it as they went to synagogue and read the bad call. And we know that also at the temple, in the holy place, the flame of the candelabra. You know when Jesus died, the Talmud says that these candelabra, the flames, just shut off by themselves. But you know what the flames represented? The Spirit of God. Why? Because he moved from the temple into the temple of our, oh, that is our body. This is what it is. It is my prayer if you do not know him to invite Yeshua in your heart. As he did. As he came 2,000 years ago. For this purpose. Let's bow our head in prayer. All right, we thank you Heavenly Father. This is the birthday of your body. This is your birthday Heavenly Father. This is your, the birthday of your son. Heavenly Father I pray that you bless us today. You bless us with great gifts. Not for our own benefit, so that we may go out and we can bring and bless the people outside heaven. Father, with you, the knowledge of your Son. Lord, again, I pray that you bless each and every one today and put your healing hand upon each and every one who is sick, Lord, who desires to know you, Lord, to each and every one of us, because we need your presence every moment of our lives. And so we thank you. We thank you again by the name of the one sitting at your right hand, Yeshua Mashiach. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you and happy birthday.